again to the book of Obadiah. Obadiah reveals the culmination of sibling rivalry and national antagonism that developed between the descendants. Well, it started between Jacob and Esau. And uh, these were twins. And uh, there was conflict from the very beginning. And uh, from Jacob came the Israelites. And from Esau came the Edomites. So when you read Obadiah, and he'll mention Edomites, he'll mention Esau, it's all from, from the same line. From the line of Jacob, finally it produced Jesus Christ. The line of Esau produced the Herods. Um, both Jesus and the Herods were king of the Jews. Jesus never spoke to Herod Antipas. Even when he was questioned by him, though he did send him a message once, illustrating the antagonism that is between these lines, Esau and Jacob Israel and the Edomites, Jesus Christ and Herod. The book of Obadiah belongs in a period following Jerusalem's final collapse and their, their ultimate destruction by the Babylonians in 587 B.C. And when the armies of Babylon finally broke through the walls of Jerusalem and destroyed the, the city, the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, joined in taking wicked delight in wiping out, really, their blood relatives, wiping out um, Jerusalem and they manifested their hostility and their response, uh, ransacking the city. And God was upset with Edom and their response in tormenting Israel, His chosen people. So God raised up this prophet, Obadiah, and He warned against the pride of of the Edomites, the retaliation against the Lord's chosen people, and really gives us an expose on a picture into God's attitude toward pride. Webster's 1828 Dictionary says, Pride, inordinate self-esteem, an unreasonable conceit of one's own superiority in talents, beauty, wealth, accomplishment, rank, or elevation in office, which manifests itself in lofty airs, distance, reserve, and often in contempt of others. And 
I, I looked up that definition after I'd studied and really even prepared this message, and I thought, man, Noah Webster must have read the book of Obadiah and went to it for an evidence of, of what pride is. But you notice that it says here in verse 3, he's bringing this, this stinging rebuke and strong message against the Edomites, the descendants of Esau. And in verse 3, he says, The pride of your heart has deceived you. Pride is a wonderful artist. It magnifies the small. It beautifies the ugly. It honors the dishonorable. And it makes a truly little, ugly, contemptible man appear large, handsome, and dignified in his own eyes. Pride deceives us in so many ways, in thinking we can live life on our terms, not on God's. It makes us feel um, invulnerable to authority, to correction, to weakness. And Obadiah brings a message of identifying this pride to the Edomites. So, verse 3, he says... Pride deceives you. And then he goes on and he gives us how it deceives us. He says, The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, you who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. Pride deceives us in thinking that we're safe. The Edomites had a huge ego, and it was fueled by living in Petra, which they and most of the people of that day believed was an impregnable city that no one can break through. In fact, the location of Petra, the rocky crevices that were around it, 12 men could guard the entire city and keep armies away. Just 12 men. So, they were. They were lifted up with their pride. They said, we're safe. We're, who's going to get us? I mean, what can happen to us? And they, they believed that they were good, that um, they would ascend as high as an eagle. They'd rise above other people. We are better than others. And that they were good, were safe, were good, and were rich. Verses 5 and 6, I'm not going to take the time to read them. But they had treasures that would be the target of thieves. They had treasures. They were rich and increased in goods. As you go through this, it reminds us of the church at Laodicea. 
They were lifted up with pride. They said, we have need of nothing. We are good. We are rich. And the Edomites believed that they had friends. Verse 7, all the men in your confederacy, they had a confederacy. They had a gathering of of allies that would, would be with them. The men that are at peace with you, they, they thought, we have people at peace with us. We have a confederacy. Not only are we safe, but we have friends. And we're pretty smart. Verse 8, God said, Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom? Pride gives us a, I'm I'm smarter than these other fools around here. Look what we've done. Look what we've accomplished. I am wise and I am strong. Verse 9, then your mighty men, they were strong men. They were mighty men. They were great warriors. So, I am safe, we are good, we are rich, we have friends, we are wise, we are strong. What more could we have? And God says to them, all of these will fail you and prove to be entirely worthless. Your... Your edifice of where your city, your capital city is built, will fall, God says. And though you think you are good and rise above others, you will be brought down. And thieves will come and steal whatever they want of yours and take it. And your friends will turn on you. They shall deceive you and prevail against you, it says. And your wise will be destroyed and your strong men will be defeated and will be slaughtered. The problem with pride is that it replaces God. I'm strong because I've done this. We're wise. We're this. We're that. And God in His character and nature is duty-bound to destroy pride. And anything that we trust in apart from God and anything we depend on and boast in apart from God will be brought down. And that's exactly what he's saying here in these first few verses. All of these are worthless and will fail miserably. I mean, one way or another, your friends will fail you. Because they can't be here forever. One way or another, your resources will fail you. One way or another... Our wisdom will be gone. If you just live long enough, your strength will be gone. The safety is, is a blessing of God, but it can be gone in a moment. All of these things 
that mankind, and there's so many others, but we're just going from the book of Obadiah listing, I am safe, I am good. Apply that to our nation. Isn't that been the attitude of our nation? We're safe. We got the best military in the world. I should say we had the best military in the world. We're good. We're rich. We have friends. We're wise. We're strong. And the problem is we fail to realize it's God that has provided all of that. And when we put Him aside and depend on our own God is forced to bring it down. But I want us to go on and look at the evidences of pride. In verse 10, he, beginning there, he mentions evidences of pride. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. One evidence of pride is family feuds. Violence against who? Violence against your brother. But you, you don't have to just limit it to family feuds. It's violence against one another. Proverbs 13 and verse 10 says, Only by pride comes contention. And, and there, there are often contentions, and we can blame others. Esau could blame Jacob. Jacob was a liar and deceiver. He stole his birthright, sort of, kind of. And Jacob could justify it. Esau could justify it. Jacob came as the deceiver and got his father's blessing. And... Esau, humanly speaking, had reason to be angry with, his, with Jacob. But you notice it didn't end with Jacob and Esau. They passed that, that anger on for how many generations? Clear to this time right here. And, and an evidence of pride is, is when there is a sense of conflict, we ought to immediately be asking, where is my pride contributing to this? But another evidence is bitterness. The Jews, as I just mentioned, the Jews and the Edomites had a long history of animosity, primarily because God chose Jacob over Esau in God's divine plan. We just sang our sovereign God. But there was deep-seated bitterness that we're going to see comes out after generations. The worst part about bitterness, it doesn't just affect us. Hebrews 12:15 says, "There is a root of bitterness that springs up and it troubles many. And bitterness that we allow into our lives, has its root in pride. And, and that bitterness then affects many people, and sad to say, many times for generations. 
So the Edomites were in a family feud. They had bitterness. And notice verse 11. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. So, here's Jerusalem being attacked. That's, that's their blood, their relatives. And Edom stood on the other side. And evidence of pride is aloofness. No, I, I'm, not, I'm not a part of them. It may be for various reasons. Um, we think we're better than them. We don't like how they've treated us. But standing back and, and not being a part of their life, um, holding them at a distance, we all have unique ways of doing that. And it's an evidence of pride. And in the next verse, while they were being ransacked, verse 12, But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of his distress. Not only did there was an aloofness, a separation, there was a refusal to help. There was a great need. There was a refusal to help. It reminds me of the account of the man that was beaten and robbed and left in the ditch. And along came a priest. And he saw him in the ditch and he passed by on the other side. He was aloof and he refused to help. Along came a Levite, and he did the same thing. He refused to help. In his pride, in his fear, whatever it was, he refused to help. But along came a Samaritan who they had odds speaking ethnically with each other, but he was willing to come alongside and help. He humbled himself, he served, he gave of himself, he came back and checked on him later to make sure he was well taken care of. Pride walks by on the other side. Pride looks away. Pride refuses to help. And not only that, verse 12 said, You rejoiced over the children of Judah. Pride gloats over others' troubles. I mean, I don't know what Hawkeyes and Cyclones fans get more joy out of, their team winning or the other team losing. But the reality is, many times in our life, we gloat over someone's trouble because we have bitterness toward them. We have um, envy. We're filled with pride. 
And then we speak arrogantly. In verse 12, he says that. Nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of their distress. Ah, they probably deserved it. I, I figured I, I, I could see that was coming. You know, you get what you, you get what you plan. And there is no heart for them at all. And there's arrogant speech. And not only that, then, verse 13, God said, You should not have entered the gate of my people in their day of calamity. Indeed, you should not have gained upon their, gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. So, they were aloof. I'm not, I'm not going to Jerusalem to help them. They were not only aloof, they refused to help. They, they gloated in it. Yeah, look at that. They're getting wiped out. That serves them right. They, we should have had God's blessing. Not only that, then they, they spoke arrogantly, but now they said, hey, let's go in there and this is an opportunity for us to grab their loot. The Babylonians defeated them, but the Edomites came rushing in and they benefited from their speech. They took advantage of the other person's misfortune. And so... This, it's, it's like God's laying out His case. Edomites, this is what's going to happen because of your pride. This is exhibit A, exhibit B, exhibit C. You did violence against them. You've held bitterness. You've been aloof. You refused to help. And so on. And God says, because of this, God has a universal principle of sowing and reaping. Notice verse 15. For the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. God has a universal principle of sowing and reaping. As you have done, it shall be done unto you. So, let's make some applications from this. Number one, God always brings judgment on pride. Pride is the original sin of Satan. Pride is the mother of all sins. Pride is rebellion against God. Pride is a replacement of God. And over and over again throughout the Bible, for an example, Proverbs 11.2, When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. Proverbs 16.8, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29.23, a man's pride will bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. 
I mean, just there. And we could go in the New Testament and read James chapter 4. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, the last being I want resisting me is God. I mean, you bring anybody else to resist, but there's no winning. And God says, my nature and my character demands I will resist the proud in heart. And understand, we're born with a, with a proud heart. We live with a proud heart. And God always judges pride. Another lesson we take from this is God judges nations in this life. He's talking about the nation, the Edomites as a people. And this judgment was happening in this life. Nations aren't judged in the next life. Individuals, we are judged in the next life. And so... As I stand here today as an American and I see what is happening in our nation today, I'm saying the judgment of God is already on us and it is going to get even much more severe unless as a nation we humble ourselves. And that's, a, that's an act of God of, of us submitting to Him. What I'm saying... I'm not here trying to rain on your parade, but I want to speak the truth. You go through everything that the Edomites were, we are, and even worse. And if God, why, and we get in a mind, but we're America. No. God is, God's character and nature is against pride. <clears throat> and and if no other reason, we are, <clears throat> there was a day when America was the leading proponent of the gospel around the world. Today, America is the leading proponent of perverted lifestyles, transgenderism, forcing nations to embrace that around the world. And And you think that, well, America is really special and, and we'll be saved from that. I mean, if, it ought, if that doesn't drive us to our knees, if that doesn't drive us to prayer for mercy for ourselves and children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, God judges nations in this life. But we're remiss if we don't say Christ alone conquers pride. It is Christ alone that conquers pride. But we must humble ourselves to come to Christ. We must first of all admit I am a sinner. There are, there are millions, probably billions of people that will not admit that, that will not humble themselves because in their pride they compare themselves with one another. 
I'm not as bad as that crackhead down the street and, and I, I go to work and take care of my family. When we compare ourselves with one another, the Bible says we are not wise. But when we compare ourselves to God, we find out what a wretched sinner we are. And must humble ourselves and say, God, I am a sinner. I have fallen completely short of your standard, of your glory. And then to admit in humbling ourselves, I cannot save myself. I cannot um, do enough good to undo my sin. I cannot do anything in and of my own effort. It's not of works that we do. God, I cannot save myself. And it's not, I need your help. I'm almost there, but could you give me a hand and pull me in? No. I am dead. I am drowning. There is nothing I can do. God, I, I cannot save myself. See, this strikes right at the heart of pride. Why do you think so many religions prosper and flourish that are works-based religions, which all, except Christianity, are that? Why? Because mankind doesn't want to humble himself and say, I am a sinner, I cannot save myself. There's nothing I can do. And, and then to humble ourselves and cry out to Jesus Christ. We sang earlier that, that He came and lived our life and bore our sin. And to cry out to Jesus Christ, God, in You alone I trust for the forgiveness of my sins. That is humbling ourselves and becoming as a little child. And the good news is, and I want you to see this, turn to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Matthew 21 and verse 42. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone, Jesus Christ, will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. We have this choice. I can run to Jesus Christ and fall on him, and self will be broken, but I will be saved. But if I do not fall upon Jesus Christ, that stone, Jesus Christ, will grind us to powder. That's exactly what the Bible says. God will bring judgment on every proud heart that refuses Jesus Christ. And we either fall on Jesus Christ 
and know the brokenness to self, and it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, or we go on in our stubborn way, and we may try to add Christ here or add Christ there, but the time is going to come when that rock, Jesus Christ, will fall upon us in judgment and grind us to powder, Jesus said. Everything rises and falls on what we do with Jesus Christ. So, God always judges pride, and rejecting Christ is the ultimate pride. God judges nations in this life. God alone conquers pride. And number four, we must battle pride as long as we live. Our hearts are prone to trust in something else besides God. Our hearts are prone to elevate self. Our hearts are prone to, to think of ourselves better than we are. And, and we haven't even scratched the surface on this pride thing. But we must continually acknowledge our dependence on God, acknowledge our need of God, acknowledge our heart is prone to go away from God. And God, I need your grace. I need your strength. When, when you leave today, um, we'll have at the doors a sheet of paper. And, and through it, it goes through a list, I don't know, maybe 50 things. A proud person is this. A broken person is this. And, and we're giving this to you because we're just scratching the surface here today. And, and I want you to take it home and slowly go through that and pray over it. I want you to bring it back Wednesday night. We're going to incorporate this as part of our prayer time on Wednesday night. Because we need the power of God. And if we don't deal with pride... What's the first thing? If my people, which are called by my name, what? Humble themselves. And we're proud if we think, well, I'm not that proud. We, we need to all admit, I am a very proud person, Lord. And I need you to show it to me. I need you to deal in my own life. And it is imperative that we commit ourselves to battling this root sin, the first sin, the root sin, and the sin that guarantees the judgment of God. But the blessing is, He gives grace to the humble. When we come to Christ and humble ourselves before Him, we know His power and we know His blessing. Heavenly Father, You mentioned that the Edomites were deceived by pride. Lord, I acknowledge I have been and am deceived by pride. And Lord, I pray that You would be Open the eyes of our understanding so that we could see our pride and turn from it. Lord, I pray for any individuals that have 
never humbled themselves to call upon Jesus Christ, admitting they're a sinner, admitting they cannot save themselves, that only the blood of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ can pay the penalty for sin and guarantee the victory of forgiveness. And Lord, I pray if there is one here that has never cried out to You for salvation through Christ, that even right now, in the quietness of their heart, they would do that. Lord, I, I pray that we would lay down our rebel arms and lay down our pride and run to You. And Lord, I pray that You would deal thoroughly and deeply in every one of us as believers' lives to reveal the pride in our hearts. And Lord, may we despise it. May we seek Your forgiveness for it. And may we walk humbly before You. Lord, our hearts are burdened for our nation. And we are a very proud people. And Lord, we have turned our back on You as a nation and we plead your mercies, the mercies of a spiritual awakening among believers, the mercies of a, of a revival, the mercies of individuals turning from sin to you, and mercies for grace that in the midst of the judgment, that we would stay true to you, that we would care for the lost and dying, and Lord, that we would be instruments of grace in this needy world. Lord, may we see the heart of You. That You are a God of goodness and severity. And may we flee from that which brings the judgment of You through humbly yielding and bowing before You. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.